Hey, I want to welcome you to a new episode of a new series that I'm very excited about. In fact, I think this might be one of our more powerful series that we've done because it's going to spotlight the condition that our youth and next generation are in and the situation, the culture, the societal strain and stress and struggle that they're in. And I will be talking to several what I consider experts in everyday life of dealing with teenagers. And I am honored to have our guest today. Clayton Small is the youth pastor at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. He's been there for five years. He has a long history in youth um, pastoring and uh, youth ministry. He's been uh, four years at Youth World Inner City uh, nonprofit in South Dallas for at-risk teens and children, um, it, uh, mentoring program, summer camps, community outreach. Before that, he was five years as youth pastor in Highland Park, Texas. He's got a uh, bachelor's in Christian studies from Dallas Baptist University, and he's got a master's in divinity from the King's University. And I am super thrilled because he's actually my children's pastor. Uh, they work very closely with him in the youth program at our church, and I couldn't be more honored and proud to have Clayton Small as our first guest in this series called New Lens for Next Gen. Clayton Small on Last in Line Leadership. Okay, here we go. Clayton Small, man, it's an honor to have you. Welcome to Last in Line Podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Man, um, so you and I know each other. Uh, you're the pastor of three of my four children and have seen them at their teenage years uh, almost as much as I have. And that's, so, that's man, right. I just wanted to do a series uh, called New Lens for Next Gen. And I just want to help from perspective of experts that deal with it on a daily basis, help us as dads kind of help our teens through the things that they struggle with, that they face. I mean, we all kind of know on a surface level what that is. Social media makes it very clear for us what struggles and yeah. pressures they deal with. But I also, I just want to get an idea of how we can be better communicators, how we can be better observers of signs and things. But before I want to do that, man, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, man, how long you've been in ministry, just real quick, and and uh, just about your family and different things, and and just kind of let us get to know who you are in about 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I thought I was here to interview you today. You got three teenagers that have come through and uh, are doing well, so uh, <laughs> we're loving it. Uh, yeah, my wife and I, we moved to Houston, Texas about five years ago. Uh, we work at the Ark Church, and uh, We've been a youth. I've been in youth ministry uh, for about 14 years uh, on staff at a church somewhere, different kinds of churches, um, some upper uh, middle class, some low income families, um, all with teenagers and all with the hopes of helping them know the Lord better. So uh, I love that you're doing this uh, for fathers and coaches and leaders, um, because I think it's a big conversation that's probably not had very many places. So, yeah. And a uh, probably a, a big reason for that, and I would just speak for myself, but is you know sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation. Sometimes it requires for us sure. to be uncomfortable and and lean into things that we may not 
totally be comfortable yeah. with. So, but you know, yeah, why teens? Why, like as you're growing up, I mean, why teenage ministry? Why yeah. youth ministry? Well, because I, I actually believe it's because it's the first thing I told the Lord I would never do. <laughs> so uh, that works. Yeah, it is funny how that works. Um, but actually, uh, I feel like the Lord has just really opened my heart to teenagers. Um, I think it's a very unique age. Uh, a lot of studies and a lot of things you'll find is if, if teenagers give their heart to the Lord by this, uh, by the time they graduate high school, uh, the, the stats of them succeeding and, and being successful in the walk with the Lord and, and raising a family to know the Lord go up tremendously. And so uh, we, we really want to see teenagers come to know the Lord at an early age. Uh, not to mention all the pressures like you're talking about today uh, that they go through. There's a lot that they're facing. Um, and so it definitely calls on people like you and I and dads and youth pastors everywhere to just um, take the have a willing heart to jump into the conversation with them. You know, it's, like you're saying, it's never easy to um, uh, to jump into somebody else's world. And I think that's kind of what can make working with teenagers a challenge sometimes is it requires you to completely jump into a world that you don't even understand. Um, because yeah. yeah, we were all teenagers, but we were not teenagers that grew up in the world that they're growing up in right now. So that's true. Um, yeah, that's you know, good. No, I, <clears throat> I'm glad you're doing what you do. I'm glad you actually obeyed <laughs> the Lord's yeah. guidance and direction. Cause I love watching what you do with these kids and, and not everybody's cut out for that, but I want to, you mentioned some statistics earlier and I want to read a couple, um, just to kind of lay a framework for the audience as to know, really, we, we kind of think we know how big the problem is, but I think once yeah. you start putting numbers and categories to it, uh, it gets real. And so these are from middle of last year from a, a website called verywellmind.com. And um, it, it says, it makes a statement it says in the next 24 hours in the United States blank. And here we go. 1,439 teens will attempt suicide. 20, almost 2,800 teenage girls will become pregnant. 15,000 teens will use drugs for the first time. And, and you're, and you've probably, these are all probably common stats to you. 3,500 will run away and two teens will be murdered uh, in the next 24 hours. And this is mid last year, but I don't know that that's changed it. At, at the very least, it might've gotten worse. Um, teen suicides uh, is the second leading cause of death between the age of 10 and 34. Um, it's, it's crazy. Four out of five teens, who attempt suicide give warning signs. Um, and, and the list goes on and on with these. And some mental health statistics I want to throw at you, because I know that that's a thing too. Like nowadays, you know, we've got yeah. bipolar, we've got OCD, you know, we've got uh, ADHD, all these things. And so a couple of these are for the teen mental health. And these really struck a chord with me, and I have to read these. But 20% of adolescents live with a mental health condition. I mean, I didn't know that. I had no idea. And that, I guess, may not sound high for some people. But that sounds high to me. Um, yeah. Half have an Ill mental illness by the age of 14. Um, and so 70% of, of teens who commit crimes have a mental illness. So, man, let's talk about, I want to, I mean, I come from the medical world. I'm in medical sales. I have been for 15 yeah. years. And so I kind of want to break this down from a medical standpoint, symptoms, diagnosis, treatment. Okay. And we're going to, fold in uh, a deep side from you as far as a spiritual, the weaponry that, that you can provide and the weaponry that our spiritual growth and health play in this. Yeah. Symptoms would be, I guess, social media, peer pressures, cancel culture, these things that yeah. you see on an external level. 
those are the things that we've got to take notice of, just like we do a runny nose or a sore throat, right? Talk to me right. about what you're seeing and, and maybe some other symptoms that you, that maybe I haven't mentioned that really are triggers that parents should look for. Yeah, for sure. You know, John, the interesting thing is you were saying, Hey, have you seen these numbers before? And the answer is yes. And they've only gone up. Uh, there's never been a year in that I've been in youth ministry that it's been like, Oh, the numbers dropped this year. Um, yeah. or, or, Hey, these stats have significantly changed. And, and especially with the last two years with COVID and just the quarantine, a lot of that, they're saying those numbers have done nothing, but, uh, accelerate, um, that COVID mm. has accelerated those numbers with the time the kids have been home and stuff like that. So, uh, those numbers are out there and, and they are staggering. You, you hear them maybe for the first time and you're like, are you serious? Like that can't be real. That can't be true. Um, and, and I would tell you, I, I always weigh this side of like, uh, you want to stay on the positive side, right? You want, you want to be yep. faith filled, you know, but you have to take a look at reality. And I'll, I'll tell you those, those statistics are true. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not much in the research side of things, but I am in the day to day research in uh, yeah. sense of working with teenagers on the ground every day. And I'll tell you, we see those things every day. Um, you know, on a weekly basis, we deal with students struggling with suicide, students, students with mental health issues. Uh, it, it's a common thing. Um, in terms of uh, consistent in conversation, it will pop up regularly. Uh, it's definitely the world that we live in. I do think social media is a huge one. Um, I think social media, uh, some of the, you know, you're kind of talking about what are some of the signs and things. Is I, I think it's created a world for our students to live in um, that, again, like I said earlier, you and I didn't grow up in. I grew up before the iPhone was invented, right? Yeah, sure. uh, I, I didn't carry that around in my pocket. It, and it's dramatically affected what our teenagers pay attention to. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot of those things impact every area of their life, but, um, social media, uh, peer pressure. Yeah, you're right. Those are, those are very big ones right now. Yeah. And if you were to sort of diagnose where the gaps are with kids who, because let's face it, we, we all want this validation, but I think our teens want it in the now in real time, which they can get it yeah. right. And they can also yeah. get the other side of that as well. They can get, um, Correct. you know, they can feel bad about them. They can be bullied, cyber bull, you know, it's, it's immediate. Everything's now. So, right. I mean, how, what would you say, uh, is, is missing from, I guess the social media is not going away. Teenagers aren't going right. away. How do we kind of narrow the gap as parents, as coaches? Huh? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, how do we narrow are not going away. How do we narrow this gap of yeah. them always dependent on some of that social media, the peer pressures, and, and really the, the cancel culture that's out there? How do we fold in more of us and our influence and God into the mix yeah. of that situation? Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting because I just talked to a bunch of teenagers about this last week, about what are you paying attention to? Um, because really it's a matter of attention and, and take the technology side out of it. Every generation can say there's something that has come along that their attention has been, and their focus has gone to. Um, and I, th I think the big gap has come in is in the regulation of what they pay attention to. Um, mm -hmm. Again, social media is not going away. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in an age and in a denomination where it was like the world is bad and, and, and don't, you know, don't even, have social media, don't even, you know, engage in that way. That's not the world we live in anymore. It's a part of business. It's a part of family. It's a, I mean, it's the way you stay connected. 
Um, so I don't think the solution is to, is to say, hey, you know, stay out. Um, I think the solution or the gap that has been created is because people haven't regulated it well. And I think for, on a parent's standpoint or a coach's standpoint, maybe we don't really know how to often. Uh, if it's not something that we're addicted to, it's not something we spend all of our time on, it's hard mm-hmm. to get into their world and understand how much it's actually impacting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I think the shortcoming is the fact that we haven't realized yet, uh, and some of these stats are starting to show, is how much it does affect them, how much it, it plays a role. Um, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you used to watch TV and you would watch one show and have to wait till the next week for it to come up. You know, mm-hmm. now they have the next the next episode or whatever. Now they have uh, endless subscriptions that they can just continually play and. And you even watch things like Netflix and those kind of things. And they just will play the next one right there for you. So that's the world our kids are growing up in. And, um, and it's impacting them in, in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I have, I have teenagers. I've had two other ones as well. And um, I, I would say I've learned a few things when it comes to regulating a little bit of social media better than I did with the first two. But yeah. I, I would say my kids, I mean, have turned out good. Like I'm, I'm very, when I look at certain situations that are out there, I think ours is okay. Like we're in a good place. I mean, our kids are serving and not that they don't. And that's my question is, I, you know, I think everything's good. Right. And there's parents just like me that on the surface, they look, I mean, we're the picture perfect kid and, and, and they all, I would say they are, but what about that parent out there that maybe there are some things that, I don't know. I have a feeling you're going to say, seek out that communication and engage with them regularly yeah. because that's what yeah. I keep feeling in my spirit that I have to do on a daily basis. Yeah. Are you having conversations with parents right now in that vein? Like stay connected, stay engaged, stay attentive. And what are some of the obstacles yeah. to that for parents? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even you just said it, you said, I pay attention to what my kids pay attention to. I think that's huge. Um, I think the, the problem with the social media world and some of that is, is kids can just have their own screen and they can be sitting across the room there. Yeah, they may be physically present with their family, but they're completely engaged in their own world. And it's mm-hmm. hard for a parent to know what's going on. Um, but I love what you said. It's like, I'm going to pay attention to the things my kids are paying attention to. You know, they used to they used to joke about having the talk with your kids, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, how do you have the talk and, and make sure you have the talk with your kids and, and about boundaries and sexual purity and things like that. One of the things they've recently shifted to, and I like what I'm hearing on this, is that they're stopping. They're, they're no longer telling parents to have the talk. They're saying, are you having the conversation? Meaning mm-hmm. it's, it's less about a one time sit down event and more about an ongoing. And that's exactly what you're saying. John, when I look at the kids who are succeeding in these areas and not being as impacted by it, I will tell you that the bulk of them come from strong family homes mm-hmm. um, where a dad and a mom are present and engaged in the conversation on an ongoing basis. It's not a one-time thing. And so um, sitting down and having the talk with your kid about social media before they ever hop on at the age of 12 uh, is one thing. But continuing that conversation when they're 14 and 15 and getting exposed to things or connecting with the online world in a different way and the pressures that come with within that, um, when you're having that conversation on an ongoing basis, it, it dramatically improves the results. And again, no professional research studies for me to show for it, except for just uh, what do they say? Like the whole, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. Oh, it's yeah. like time and time again, 
I'm talking with students. I'm like, hey, how are you doing so great in this? Tell me about your family. And it, it all boils down to they have those influences in their life who are not afraid to have the conversation, even if it's hard or difficult, um, or even if they don't understand all the things that your kids are going through. You don't have to understand everything. I joke now, I'm, I'm 32 years old. And, uh, you know, by some, I would be young. Uh, some people listening, you're like, that's young. One of the things that's been different about youth culture now is it's progressing at such a rate that they look at me like I'm the oldest man in the world. Uh, you know, they have a bad perception for age anyway. Uh, but what's funny is I can no longer stay trendy. I can no longer stay on that cutting edge. It moves too fast, even for me as a millennial and as a younger man. Um, I cannot stay in the race that way. So if you're a parent of a teenager, uh, the, the rate at which that's moving for you is even more significantly yeah. quick than it is for me. Yeah. And so the key is, I think, for parents not to worry about knowing everything that goes on in, in culture, in the world, and, and how that's working. Um, but it's having the conversation with your students about it as it happens, um, processing it with them, engaging in the conversation, because we can't keep up. You know, yeah, I used yeah. to be, I used to be on social media regularly. I had to limit it for my own personal life, my own personal strength. I was like, I cannot, I cannot keep up with them. Um, but I can keep having a conversation with them. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh man. So many good things in there. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, it's almost like as parents, when you, when you just specifically the, the purity and the sexual talking the yeah. the sex talk right and it's almost right. as parents we're trying to outrun social media before they get to our kids we want to get to them yeah, and can. it's almost we're chasing our tail there and i yeah. feel like i feel like they've already seen and heard things that you know we never heard or saw at 12 13 and even earlier in some cases now Hey, do yourself a favor when you get done listening to this episode and go check out my sponsors on their websites those links will be in the show notes, but I want to thank the following for supporting Last in Line podcast. I want to thank Armored Nation Coffee. I want to thank the folks at Do Work That Matters. Uh, I want to thank Kevin Fulton over at Lead Like Lions. Thank you to Gridiron Coffee. And thank you to Cowboy Revolution Apparel. Those are just a few and we're adding to the list, but these are ones who have started with us at ground zero and are sticking with us uh, till the end, hopefully. So go check out their website, get some of their products. Now back to the show. I can't imagine being in your, cause it's almost like you do have teenagers, right? You may not have two, you know, your children are very yeah. young right now, but you do sort of have teenagers because you're learning and you're up yeah. front in the, in the belly of the beast when it comes to yeah. dealing with teenage situations. And, and I was looking at this pregnancy stat too, when you were talking about purity and those things. And I guess in 2017 was this stat that came out and I know it's, I, I'm unfortunately, I think it's higher now, but I hope it, it, we can do something about it. But there were almost 200,000 babies born to women between the age of 15 and 19. Wow. Almost 200,000. Yeah. And that was 2017. Wow. Yeah. That's five years ago. I mean, so I can only imagine what that number is now. I mean, we're talking maybe upwards yeah. to a quarter of a million kids being born. Yeah. Man, I just, I can't imagine that. And so for parents that haven't had the talk or, or maybe we're, you know, maybe a little tardy on the timing with that talk. Um, yeah. Help, help somebody right now, maybe with a couple of, of, of nuggets of how to yeah. approach it. What, 
when to know it's the right time kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, I like what you say is because I have young kids now, so I don't even pretend I tell parents all the time. I don't pretend to know what it's like <laughs> to be in your shoes because I don't. And I used to think, man, being a youth pastor for so many years is really going to help me when I have teenagers, but I'm laughing now because it's not, I mean, it will in some ways, but for the bulk of what people think it's going to give me exposure to is the world's going to change and move so fast. So it's the principles we have to put into play that are timeless, not necessarily what's happening in culture and some of those things. And so when, when you ask for some things, I, I think the first thing is not being afraid of any of those conversations. I think for a long time in Christian circles and Christian worlds, and, and we still see it today, is I'm so afraid of what might happen to my kid that that kind of mentality and that kind of thinking pulls their kid out of the world. And the challenge is, John, and what you guys, I believe you and Missy have done a great job of doing with your kids is they're engaged in the world. They're engaged mm -hmm. in culture. They're engaged in school and different things, but you have the conversation with them as they go, but you're not afraid of that. You can't be afraid of having those conversations and being, and being willing to go there. You know what most studies show actually is that teenagers want their parents to have the conversation with them. I'm not just Ooh. talking about sexual purity, but they actually yeah. want their parents to ask them about it. Um, and, and, and so most people answer that. They're like, well, you don't know my kid. You're right. Yeah. I don't. Right. But um, deep down, even when they show some defensiveness or different things, they're, they're hungry for that attention. I think the thing that has helped the most is, and I saw this, this was by uh, Orange Curriculum was something that was really popular about 10 years ago or whatever. They put out a lot of studies and different things. But what they always talked about was relational influence and positional influence. Mm. And they talked about how I have toddlers right now. And so uh, obviously my positional influence in their life is very high. Mm -hmm. Why can't you do that? Because daddy said so. Why can't you do that? Because daddy said so. That's the answer to everything right now, right? Uh, to all the 50 million why questions. Yeah, you know? yeah. But as, as your kid gets older, and, and I put it in this, this perspective for you, I called my dad before I bought a car when I was 27, 28 years old. Uh, did I call my dad because I had to call my dad and ask him if I could buy a car? No. I called my dad because I wanted his input before I purchased it. Hey, dad, you've done this a few times. Any input, anything you had to say, uh, I would be much appreciated. Now, I did that because of his relational influence in my life. No longer am I in a position where it's like, hey, dad, what did you say? Uh, mm. You know, because you're my dad, I have to do it. It's mm. dad, I, I'm interested in what you have. And that is what you call learning how to balance in those conversations. I'm saying something because I'm your dad or I'm, you know, and that's my mm. position. And yeah. I have the authority versus relationally. Hey, son, um, let's think about this or let's talk about this relationally. And I think that is the, the greatest uh, challenge that I see when it comes to that is parents knowing when to act as a positional authority figure and when to act relationally. And I'm not encouraging or challenging parents to be their kids' friends. We've all heard that and that doesn't work. Uh, I see that regularly. Um, and oftentimes when I see uh, a high, uh, I'm their friend, there's very low levels of discipline. And the irony of that, John, is the very thing you're talking about, the gaps that are created, uh, is what are they paying attention to? And often they're paying attention to too much of something because they mm -hmm. have a low level of discipline. Yeah. And the higher the level of discipline, which doesn't come from a parent who's a friend, but a parent who can balance the relational and positional authority in their kids' lives, um, it, it really plays out well for them. Because by the time they're 18, you want them to be able to leave the house in the spring, not take off flying because 
they yeah. just found this freedom they've never learned how to have discipline with. Yeah, so. yeah. And you you led me right down where I was going too, because I was going to ask you between positional and relational, where's the fine line in and the trap as parents is we want to be their friend. And you said that, but we also, yeah. we were trying to be too relevant, I think, in their world. Like you said, it's going to be hard yeah. for you to keep up with your relevance now. And you're young, a lot younger than me. And you feel like you're sort of out of touch at times. What, what do you say to those yeah. parents that are yeah. struggling with, Hey, I think if I just get close enough to them to be kind of a friend and relevant in their world, then they'll talk to me more. Um, you know, do you have anything to say to those parents or do you even see that as being a challenge for parents? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, you know, I think there's a harsh side to that and a, a soft side. So I'll, I'll give both. But I, I think the first thing is you'll never be cool enough to keep up. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, so I don't think that's worth trying. Um, you know, I think the challenge, the softer side edge of that is, well, I want to be their friend. The closer I get to them, the more they'll open up. That is true. But what happens if the boundaries erode mm. during that process and they no longer respect what you had to do to get them to be your friend? They no longer respect yeah. the positional authority, the voice mm. in your life, which I've seen time and time again. Um, but I, I do think, you know, to every parent, you know, who's in this season of life is you have to start believing that you're qualified to do it. Mm. I'm not a parent in, of a teenager, so I don't know what it's like. But I think the greatest challenge is not that parents don't know what to do. I think the greatest challenge is the fact that a lot of times they feel unqualified to even have these conversations. Mm. Um, what, what if I don't know the answer? What is my teenager going to think? Or what if my teenager asked me about my past and my history? Because when they find out about that, That's then true. I'm sunk. They're never going to listen to anything I have to That's say. True. Yeah. Actually, we have a generation um, that we work with right now who – all they want is, is people to be authentic and genuine with them. Um, and they're the real deal. Um, and when that gets exposed by a parent who's willing to say, hey, I'll be real with you. Um, I'll maintain the parent authority levels and position. Um, I'm not trying to be your friend, but I'll have these real conversations with you. It's awkward, but I'll, I'll, I'll go there with you. You're worth it to me. Um, yeah. And it's not a qualified thing. It's not about knowing the, all the right yeah. answers or having – everything all figured out in life. It's about yeah. just being willing to be authentic and genuine with your kid. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the world will tell the kids that they can't trust their parents. Like, I think that's yes. a big message. And yes. if I think that's the huge, that's a huge pillar in this whole relational uh, component you're talking about is if they trust you, sure. which the authenticity brings that out, right? If you're vulnerable yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're not yeah. being so authoritative um, and so, what you said positional but relational and be like look i've been there i've been down the road and here's what i did wrong you know i think obviously yeah. there's probably some discernment in how vulnerable and transparent you get about your past with kids yeah. and and it, there's a it's a situational thing but so let's dig into yeah. treatment okay we talk about diagnosis we talk about symptoms talk about treatment here you're the physician today um but let's but let's bring in the the great physician and let's bring in yeah. the spiritual component here because let's face yeah. it if we don't get there i don't know where the erosion stops and so yeah. with our teenagers with humanity in general so Definitely. you said a, yeah. you said a comment um i think 
uh, at church uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it, yeah, I think it might even be on the uh, the ad for for youth ministry. But you talk about adult influence, and there was a st- statistic. Yeah. You talk about that some. Yeah. Uh, that came from Sticky Faith um, from Fuller Institute, and they, they put that out a long time ago. That's nothing new. It's been kind of around in youth circles for a while, but they talk about uh, teenagers needing five different adult influences in their life. Um, so beyond just an influence of a parent, they need to be surrounded by a community mm-hmm. of other adults. Um, that's why in our youth ministry, um, we have people serving who are 60 years old. And we have 20 year olds. We have the 20 year old who wants to be their fun older brother and the 60 year old who has wisdom and experience and loves them and and can serve them. Um, They just need multiple voices. Um, I had a, uh, I had a single mom. uh, She's not a single mom. She's uh, she has a husband who's not a believer uh, come up to me in the last couple of weeks and said, Hey, um, what do I do? You know, my husband's not interested and engaged in this. And I just said, Hey, bring them here. The more they're here, uh, and the more you're intentional about bringing them here, the more they're going to be surrounded by other voices that can speak into their life. Um, so I think as a parent, it's not just figuring out your voice um, to speak into their life. It's what voices am I surrounding my kid with? Because they're yeah. surrounded by voices on a daily basis uh, yeah. now more than ever. So um, be intentional yeah. about that. Be disciplined about that. That's perfect. Yeah. And and you mentioned, too, that um, – in addition to that, I think they're more likely to sustain that journey because, you know, let's face it, you, you said something earlier about when they start now, they're more likely to own that faith when they go to college and become a young adult. Sure. And and that's a big thing is owning their faith. Like I would imagine that's a big message from you and your team is not just because dad drew mom and dad drove you to church and made you go to youth yeah. right tonight, yeah. but how do you take ownership of your faith? Give a couple before yeah. I before I round this out. Give a couple of uh, ways for for us to I don't know if it's if we can help them do that or just ways that teenagers own their faith. Own their faith. Yeah, that that's huge because it's all based on hunger. When yeah. they're hungry for it, um, they'll do it. Um, so oftentimes, parents are afraid to force their kid to go to church, and this is what I see more and more happening often afraid to make their kid go to church because they're afraid it's going to turn them away. The challenge with that is that then they're not in an environment where their hunger can be uh, yeah. uh, fed. Stimulated. Uh, the yeah. irony yeah. is you wake up every day and you're hungry for breakfast. Um, but when it comes to spiritual hunger, you have to, you ha- there's a sense that there's a little bit of that hunger that's created. The more you're into it, the hungrier you get. Um, and so I think that environment is really, is really important. Um, yeah. making sure that your kids are in that environment where they can get it on an ongoing, ongoing basis. Um, I, I think another thing is, uh, you know, a little bit of a treatment plan is this generation especially is looking for purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they, they actually speak about that a lot for high schoolers. High schoolers move to this phase of life where they're really starting to ask the question. And we see this often too. What's my purpose in this world? Where do I belong? How do I fit in? Well, when they get engaged in the life of a church, or you give give them opportunities to serve and have purpose, uh, it, it unlocks another side of them. Every time we take kids away to a retreat or a camp or a mission trip, something comes out of them. And they all think God is so much better at, at camp and retreat and mission trip than he is at home. And, and our challenge is often trying to help them understand the same God that was there is the same God that's at home. Well, what's the difference? The difference isn't the God. The difference is 
what they paid attention to all week, uh, where their focus was, and what they were doing. It's with their purpose. Uh, it makes me think of Elijah the, the prophet. Uh, Elijah, man of God, he calls fire down, uh, you know, and 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 kills off all the prophets of Baal, and then goes home, and Jezebel threatens him. And it actually says what we struggle with a lot with teenagers is that uh, Elijah went, he sat down under a tree, and he wished that he was dead. He started praying mm. to God, God, take my life. Mm. And what I think is so interesting about that is Elijah, at one point in his life, is running in the power of God. Uh, he's known as a man of God who's doing incredible things, and then all of a sudden it goes the other way. Nobody's exempt from this. This applies no. to a man of God in the same situation that our teenagers find themselves in. But yeah. God's answer to him, you know what God's answer to him was? Uh, hey, get up, and I want you to go anoint these three people. God never really, in, in Scripture anyway, doesn't really show all the resolutions to all the soulish things that he's experiencing. Mm -hmm. But in his spirit, he gets up and he goes and he anoints. He, he finds a new purpose, and God has a new task and a new mission for him. And the second he does, it, it, it's a game changer. Elisha is the next prophet to come out of that. So I just think for our kids, the more they find purpose, um, the more their spirit side is going to be awakened. Yeah, we didn't really I, hit on this. But. No, no, that's great because I, I think as parents and for for those listening that are teenage parents of teenagers, like it's all about to me. It's two things in addition to what you're saying. I've narrowed it down to, and there's a lot more, but environment and expectation. So if I can get them in an yeah. environment. I mean, yes, yep. God can touch them anywhere, but man, there's yep. something they're powerful about being in, you know, do not forsake the gathering of the saints, the Bible says. And so to right. get them in an environment with their peers, with leadership, yep. godly influence, he, I mean, you never know what seeds are planted, even though you think if I take them, they're going to resist and it's going to be, they don't want God because I'm telling them they need God. And so we get in this whole dichotomy as parents, but I'm telling you living proof that, they can yeah. get touched in that environment. They can get touched anywhere, but that's a that's a fertile soil to put them in. Yes. And then the expectation comes on the kids' part. That's where the ownership, like they've got to be expecting God to do these yeah. things. Like on a mission trip. I mean, one of my kids right. went on a mission trip last year, changed his life. Now he's that's what he wants to do with his life is ministry. And right. so, you know, you just that expectation in those moments, yeah, it's easy to expect God to show up. But when you get home right. and you're in your room doing homework and, you know, your friend just canceled you or whatever happened on right. social media, right? that like you just said, like you got to expect God to be in those moments too. And I'm going to let yeah. you put a bow on this and just give like a last kind of parting shot for parents of teenagers right now. If you could just a couple things. And, and even if you had to kind of reinforce what we've already talked about a little bit, but yeah, just yeah. give us something to, to chew on for a minute. Yeah. Here's a thought and you'll remember this, but uh, mental health issues were not a hot button topic. They were not uh, regularly yeah. discussed uh, 25 years ago. Right. right. In fact, I remember even growing up, uh, the messaging was it's okay to open up. It's okay to share. It's okay yeah. to have feelings as a guy, as a man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that pendulum swing in the time that I've been a youth pastor in 14 years. Um, it's no longer encouraging people that it's okay to share emotionally what's going mm -hmm. on. It's now become the primary conversation on the table, which, which says this to me. And, and I, I read those stats talking about it um, just as a culture has not solved the issue or the challenge, right? The more we have talked about it has not caused uh, suicide rates to go down, depression to go down. In fact, 
whether it's either gone up or we're just more aware of it's how prevalent it is among culture. Um, one or the other, I'm not really sure where I'd, where I'd put my, you know, stake in the sand on that one, but is if, if we think about it, the conversation is, is not necessarily solving the issues. And I like to look at it this way. There, there are three parts to a person. There's a body, right? There's a soul and there's a spirit. We know about the body. We work out the body. We want to stay fit. We, you know, we, we, we understand that the soul we understand in our culture pretty well. We have a lot of conversations about mental health, a lot of conversations about your emotions, a lot of conversations about what are you thinking, your beliefs, that kind of stuff. There's not a lot of conversation around the spirit. And I love what you said. It's an expectation and an environment. The only way though, for the spirit to be allowed to grow inside of our kids and our teenagers is for us to help them be disciplined, uh, Mm -hmm. to get to a place where their spirit can grow. Uh, to be place themselves in an environment where it, there's an opportunity for their spirit to grow. Because right now, I, from what I can see as a youth pastor, what's happening is the soulish realm has gotten really big. Um, teenagers come in and, and they're now, um, this did not, this was not the case when I was a teenager, but I see it now very prevalent is they label themselves what society has labeled them, yeah. not just in terms of what their friends, how their friends have bullied them, but in terms of they come in, First line of the conversation is I'm depressed. First line of the conversation is I'm suicidal. And what has happened is to me, the soul has gotten a lot of emphasis. Yeah. And what happens is just because we're talking about the things that are going on in the soul doesn't mean it's solving the problem. So I think as parents, as pastors, as leaders, coaches, we have to be in a place where we say, you know what, we need to do what it takes to help them grow their spirit. Because yeah. when the spirit grows, it's going to influence their soul. When, when, when they grow strength in the Lord, what's going to happen is, is they're going to find strength in their emotions. They're going to find strength um, in, in, in their depression. They're going to find, you know, fear and things yeah. that they, they struggled with in the past begin to go away. But if we're not helping them have that conversation as parents, uh, yeah. it's, it's going to be a big, a big challenge for them. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's it. And that's a perfect way to, to, to put a, put a bow on it. Um, man, I appreciate you coming on. It's been great. Uh, I can't wait to listen back to it because, uh, there's some really good points in there that we can take away real practical application. So audience, I, I encourage you. I mean, Clayton's doing amazing work with our youth at the art church in Conroe, Texas. If you have teenagers in the Montgomery County area, uh, you know, Get them over there. Any, even within an hour drive, that's not too much. Get them over to the Ark on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock and watch their life change. So with that audience, he's been Clayton Small. We've been last in line. Be blessed.